warm welcome to our senior pastor, Ross Parsons. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's so good to be with you today. Uh, such a great time. I haven't been here in a while, and um, I just wanted to say that, Dan, I'm committed to your salvation. <laughs> and I want to give you a chance to prove that by Austin winning the Twinkie Cup. So did you check that out? He was like, he was going to lose his salvation if he, if he loses. So um, I'm going to give you a chance for God to work in your life. It's going to be awesome. Actually, um, I don't know if you know this, but you've got a, like an old truck sitting in your front lawn or something. It's like, it kind of looks like somebody just drove in and stopped driving somewhere. But that's actually my truck. I bought that truck with paper route money at 15 years old. And, uh, and I fixed it up once. It needs fixing again. And, uh, but it's here, and you guys are going to surround that thing with pumpkins, and it's going to look really cool. Lisa Kirby has given me the vision for it, and so uh, I really encourage you, stay after. And it's stuff like that that sort of helps us bond a little bit uh, around here. So I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm really happy to be with part of our family. Um, I, my, my, you know, my, my family will be here a little in the second service in a little while. My wife will be here and to join us. And we always enjoy coming and, and seeing you. I'm so grateful for Pastor Russ and Courtney and their faithfulness and their leadership here in this place. Don't you appreciate them so much? I, uh, I, you know, when I, when I stop and think about the, the miraculous way that God has worked in one chapel, Lake Travis, um, it, it, it really is emotional for me because I believe that the devil had a plan for this church, and, uh, and that plan was broken in two. It was destroyed by the faithfulness of a few people here in this place. And there has been incredible life and energy and love and peace and joy showing up in this place over the last three years. And I'm so grateful that you've been so faithful. So thank you so much for, um, for being faithful here because here's the truth. There's a whole bunch of people moving into all these new houses up and down this corridor. There's a whole bunch of new neighborhoods springing up and they need Jesus. And uh, it is so, that's why prayer walking is so important. That's why, um, that's why we're here to be a light in, uh, in the darkness. I know there's a sense of which they're all coming and you're like, no, you're ruining our good thing out here. No, but you don't think that Jesus has a plan for that? You don't think there's a purpose behind it? It's not just economics that are working in our favor here. It is the, the purpose of God to bring people to a place, to a, a city, a region where he's doing something. And I see it all over our, our region, and that's why we have a, a vision for 10, at least 10 uh, campuses in the next several years. I believe that God gave us that vision, and there is a need over and over again. 4.7 churches per 10,000 people is about what the average is for our region, Right, the national average is twelve churches per ten thousand people. Like a, a city like Dallas has like forty churches per ten thousand. Right, 
Austin doesn't have that. No matter how we slice it, we're not going to catch up. But Jesus has a purpose and a plan, and I want you to see it. You're part of it. You're part of what God is doing in our region. So I'm grateful for you, and it's so good to be with you here um, this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into our message. Uh, Father, we just come to you now, and we open your word. We, we ask for your life and for your truth We ask for revelation to come and to rest on us. Lord, would you change our minds? Would you renew our hearts? Would you give us a new perspective today as you shed light on our soul? And Lord, give us the grace then to obey you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen. You know, we've been in this series called Real Relationships for the last several weeks, and I love this relationship, and I want to tell you that part of my uh, belief is that when we do a series like this, it is essential for us to get what we're talking about in, a, in this pivotal series. I think it is a meaningful series for our church, and the reason it's so meaningful and pivotal is because I don't think ministry In whatever way you want to identify it, ministry doesn't really happen unless relationships are real. You can get together and have church. You can sing some songs. You can have a nice message, awesome message. But if you don't have relationships, if you don't have a vulnerability with people, if you don't have a a place where you are known and needed, it doesn't work. The gospel is translated, it's transferred by relationships. It's transferred, it's lived out in the middle of relationships. And that's why this series is so meaningful for our church. If you've missed some of the, some of the series, you can go back to onechapel.com and uh, you can listen to them on the podcast or watch them on, on video uh, there. And so I want you to make sure you do that because this series defines how we're going to move forward as a church. And so today, we're going to talk about courage and caring, a courageous and caring conflict. Because there is no relationships without conflict. Let's just do a little, let's just do a little simple poll here, all right? Um, so if we look out across the uh, auditorium today, and I ask you a few questions, I just want you to raise your hand, all right? Ready? Here we go. Uh, black licorice or red licorice, right? Here we go. Ready? Black licorice. How many? Wow. Red licorice. I don't know what it is about black red licorice. What's the problem? It's like some people are like, yes, it's so good. But red licorice is the all-time choice. I agree. How about this? Marvel or DC? Marvel comics or DC movies? What do we call what, what, which one? Marvel? How many? All right. How many love DC? Oh, three. <laughs> the dark and brooding creative among us. <laughs> if you watch those DC movies, they're not very good, are they? <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so, so what about how, about, how about this? Longhorns or Aggies? Longhorns? Hey, hey, they are killing it. Did you watch that game yesterday? Oh my gosh, it was so amazing. I thought they were going to throw it away. But they won. They finished the game, which is what they haven't done in a while. How many love uh, Texas Longhorns one more time? Just get a, get a little, yep. 
Aggies, A&M, four. Awesome. All right, Dallas Cowboys, or whoever the Dallas Cowboys are playing. <laughs> I don't know what it is creates more polar opposites than the Dallas Cowboys. All right, here is the last one. Arrive early or fashionably late? How many are early birds? Okay, how many are fashionably late? Yeah, I join you in that. I think it's good to be fashionably late. My, my wife is a really punctual person, and she loves to be on time. Most of our marriage fighting has been about punctuality. I just, well, I'm not late. I'm just more optimistic about what I can get done before I have to be somewhere. If you think about it, you look around, you are sitting with a bunch of people who you disagree with. We just proved it. These people think differently than you do, that you're sitting next to. And in reality, they are in conflict with your opinions. They, are, they have a different perspective. They see things differently. There are values clashing all over the room. And if you understand this, you understand that all relationships have conflict, but real relationships work through it. That's your first fill in the blanks if you have your message notes, which I love for you to have. I think it's valuable to write stuff down while I'm speaking. I think it's one of the most powerful things that can happen in church. Not that you listen to my words, but I find that if you're writing stuff down, God will speak to you so often, and that's the hope. And so real relationships are the, are the ones that work through conflict. Why do some couples grow old together and some grow apart? Why do some people forgive easily and some just hold grudges and grow bitter? Why do some relationships survive and others fail? Why, why do people struggle with conflict at work or, or with their teenagers or with their own friends I think it's part of the wiring of humanity. The power of your will is part of the reason we have conflict. God gave us that will, I'm convinced, so we could choose him. He gave us a choice. He gave us a strong will. In fact, all, everything that we talk about <clears throat> in terms of following Jesus is about surrendering our will to him. And you know why it's so challenging sometimes? Because your will is so strong. And it creates conflict. <clears throat> but I'm concerned today about something that's going on in our culture, that we're adopting a way of thinking in our culture when it comes to conflict. I don't, I don't know if you've watched any reality television series lately. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, honestly, it's not reality TV anymore. It's just scheduled conflict. Right, because that's what sells. That's what's interesting to watch. The vindictive political rancor and the hostility of our culture wars are causing conflict everywhere. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> this is dangerous for God's people to follow in the way of our culture. There are a lot of us who are conflict avoiders. Some of you just want to avoid conflict at any cost. Some of us are conflict enablers, and a few of us are conflict lovers. 
Some of you love conflict more than you should. But disagreements are part of life. In our culture today, we're dealing with an idea about conflict that poisons the very existence of healthy conflict. The idea is this. Here's the cultural lie. The cultural lie is, if you disagree with me, you don't love me. If you disagree with me, you don't love me. If I disagree with you, I certainly can't love you. This is one of the most destructive concepts within our current culture. It has stolen the idea of what love really is. Love has become a synonymous with agreement. Thanks so much, Petra. Love has become synonymous with agreement. And it goes like this. Well, if you don't support my decisions, then you don't love me. It sounds like a good, headstrong teenager, doesn't it? Yeah, we shouldn't be too worried about that. They're in development. Don't get stressed out about that, but the idea is wrong. If you don't agree with me in my political point of view, we certainly can't be friends, and we can't be friends on Facebook for sure. <laughs> or since you don't agree with the lifestyle I've chosen, we obviously can't be friends. It is foolish to think we cannot love someone and disagree with him or her at the same time. <laughs> you know where I first learned about this? My kids. My children. I know this because I'm a parent. And I have disagreed with them over and over and over again throughout their young lives. I have five children. My oldest is 23. My youngest is 11. It's been a long journey, my friends. But over and over again, I've disagreed with them. Why have I disagreed with them? Because at first it was for their safety. No, you cannot run in the street. No, you can't ride down the hill on your longboard without a helmet. I disagree with my children about what's cool. Mostly they're right on that one. But I still disagree with them, and I love them. Disagreeing and love go together for parenting. And it happens in marriage, too. It happens well in good friends. All relationships fight. All relationships have conflict, but good relationships fight clean. Bad relationships hit below the belt. Good relationships press for good solutions and bad relationships press for personal victory as long as I win, Dan Underhill. <laughs> Didn't know you were stepping into that one, did you? I've been working out too this week. <sighs> hey, that wasn't that funny. My wife and I don't have many knock-down, drag-out fights, but recently <laughs> I had her coming to, my, on, to me on, on her hands and knees, and she was saying, get out from under that bed and fight like a man. <laughs> here's, here's the lesson. Conflict is actually the byproduct of love. Conflict is actually the byproduct of love. In fact, they're often dancing partners. If I love you, there will come a time <clears throat> when I'm going to disagree with something that's going on with you. If you love me, there will be time, a time that you disagree 
with me. The reason I know this is because I'm human and so are you. The reason I know this is because no perfect people attend this church. And, and so there is a time when we will need to have some sort of a conflict or we will stumble upon it unknowingly. And what are you going to do when that happens? Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Listen, if it's all just, it's too much. The reality is meaningful and substantive conversation. Meaning and purposeful conflict for the sake of loving another person is what we signed up for when we came to Jesus. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? I just want to love people. I don't want to have fights with them. Yeah, me neither. But I'm a pastor, so it kind of goes with the territory. That was supposed to be kind of funny, but... It's not that funny to me. I realize it's not that funny to you. Here's, here's, here's a concept I want you to get. If your enemy is the first to point out your flaws, you may not have enough real friends. If your enemy is the one to point out what's wrong and criticize you, a person who doesn't like you, you don't have enough real friends. Because this is how we are called to live together in a community. Sometimes we need somebody to say to us, okay, listen, let's have coffee. I'm going to be your best friend right now. I'm going to tell you what, what really needs to be said. I'm going to help you. I'm gonna, I, and I'm not talking about, brother, you know I love you, and I'm going to smack you in the face. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about honest, humble open and willing friendship. How do we deal with conflict the right way? I think real relationships require courage and it requires caring. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Proverbs 21, 9 says, better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 17, 14, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Here's the thing you have, to, you have to see about this particular proverb. Floods, if you think about a flood, floods happen with a tiny little break in the dam or the smallest area of the riverbank. And suddenly, if you don't deal with conflict in a healthy way, the dam bursts. Dealing with conflict in a healthy way deals with something small. Not, not, a, not, a, not fighting because you enjoy it or because you love uh, being right. This leads us to the questioning, what are the, what are the real root causes of conflict a lot of times? Poor communication, selfishness, jealousy, misunderstandings, differences, hurt feelings, unmet expectations, pride and anger. Sometimes these are the ways that conflict emerges. And that's unfortunate. But it happens because of who we are. Look at James 4, 1 through 3 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. And so there's, there's this process here that James is talking about. If we peel back this scripture, what we see that he is saying is that there, is, there are fights and quarrels that come from a really bad place. A motivation that is poor, that is from the devil himself, that wants to fight and have our own way, that wants to deal with other people and be critical and, and cynical. That's not the motive that you and I are talking about today in conflict. But because we go to church together, because we have relationships, these are going to emerge from time to time. And the question is, how will we handle them? How will we deal with each other? And so often, one hurt is just the beginning. One hurt is just the beginning of, 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 of what's, what's causing conflict a lot of times. Because there's something that I've referred to as secondary offenses, Secondary offenses, I just want you to think about this for a second. A secondary offense comes after a primary relational conflict or hurt. When a, suddenly a second or even a third unintentional or accidental event reinforces the initial offense and convinces us that the motives of the offender are truly heinous. And there's a, there's a thing that happens because we're human. We tend to think the worst instead of think the best. God wants us to think the best. God wants us to enter into a conflict with the proper motives and not be driven by our own hurts. And these secondary offenses, there's an initial offense, and then there's a second thing that happens, and then you're like, no, that person, they don't even deserve my friendship. And you start to get really upset. Here's a couple of examples. You have a, let's say you have a strained conflict with a coworker at work, all right? But then you, you, fight, you, go, you go for a few days, and then you find out you're not asked to join a team project. Like you've been on this person's team, but then suddenly you're left out of a team project. You get even more upset and think the coworker is holding it against you. You can't believe they would be so petty. Later, you find out she had no influence on who chose the team. You work yourself up with a secondary offense that's not even intentional, but that reinforces the initial event. Happens all the time. You have a disagreement with a neighbor over fixing your shared fence. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Something's going on on the, on the line right here between your property and their property. And you realize if, after you have this kind of disagreement and you kind of wrestling about it, later that week there's a, a party at their house. And it seems like everybody was invited except you. I can't believe they didn't invite me to the neighborhood party. You think, I'm going to show them. I'm just going to do what I want with my own I'll just do it and I'll charge them an arm and a leg and they'll have to put up with it. I don't care. Then later, two weeks later, you find the invitation to the party in your couch cushions. It is my belief 
that the devil himself is prowling around trying to create these secondary offenses that aren't even real most of the time. They're just setups. One more, you have a conflict with a friend over a seemingly trivial issue and you text them later to check in and there's no response. You call the next day, they don't respond. This starts to get on your nerves. Your blood starts boiling. What is the problem you think to yourself? These people are way too sensitive. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell them what the real deal is. Then later you find out it was last week that his mother was diagnosed with cancer. See, you just, you have to, one of, the, one of the things that the devil does best is he causes us to jump to conclusions, right? There's a, what this is, secondary offenses are unintentional, accidental things that happen to reinforce offense and keep you offended. And so it's a jump to conclusion from the realm of our own suspicions and expectations or unfulfilled expectations. We jump to conclusions that are incorrect because we're driven by these unfulfilled expectations or anger or rejection. It's a commonly innocent and unintentional act or inaction. Sometimes it's an action that wasn't taken. And it speaks to you because you've got this hurt in your heart. This innocent secondary information is often unverified and accidental. And yet we treat it as if it's fact. Secondary offenses are a strategic move of the enemy to capitalize on our fears and our frustrations. It's one of the best tactics of the devil because here's the truth, one chapel, it takes the devil two moves to get you. Always takes the devil two moves to get you, right? The first move is his. Something happens, some mean person does something ugly to you, some disappointment occurs, you know, and it's just like this, this thing is happening out there that you have no control over, but you know what? The second move is yours. The second move is yours. And if you answer anger with anger, he's got you. That's why Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. If you answer bitterness with your own bitterness, he's got you. But if you answer bitterness with compassion and mercy, he can't get you. The second move is always up to you. The second move is up to you and me. The sad reality is this kind of thing, this secondary offense happens with people who have unresolved conflict in their past. They have hurts, hurts in their past that kind of give them a, a way of looking at the world where they just want to fight with everybody. Or they want to be right. Or, or people all around them tend to, you know, there's, there's a hurt and a wound and they end up, it end up, ends up being touched by people around them. Maybe not even intentionally. And you've heard, you've heard the saying, hurting people hurt people and are easily hurt by others. But here's the truth. Jesus gave us specific. Everybody say specific. He gave us specific instructions on how we are to deal with conflict as a community. How we deal with conflict. Make no mistake, we have to practice it in here in order to do it out there. If you can't do it in here, you're going to have a hard time doing it out there. And you, and you need to do it as a community. We need to deal with conflict in a way that is driven by proper motive and driven by love. 
that there's a, there's a way that Jesus outlines this that is so clear, it shocks me how many times people do not follow his instructions. I've been in church a long time. My dad was a pastor himself. I sat in many a nasty board meeting with the church. I went as a kid. It was really, really a, an experience. I saw churches fall apart. My own family fell apart at one point. As a child, as a 17-year-old, my parents got divorced. It was a, it, this conflict that came into the church and just could not be resolved. It is a problem that we all have to address. If we're going to talk about real relationships, we have to be willing to deal with conflict the way Jesus defines it. And what I find as we go through it, I want you to think about how it, it, this, this way of working through conflict not only works in the church, not only works in this community of faith, in this, in this community of people who follow Jesus, but I believe if you put it to work out in the workplace, in your school, with your friends, it will work there too. Check it out here. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Matthew 18, 15 through 20 says, if a fellow believer hurts you, Go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. I'm reading from the Message Bible, modern day translation. It says, if he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. Everybody say, try again. again. So you don't just go once, you try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no on heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, My Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. You know one of the best things that you can do when you realize you're in conflict with somebody is pray for them. I know it seems like deep teaching, right? Just follow me. But I'm shocked at how many times we don't want to pray for them. But if you will pray for them, I, I had a problem with, I had the problem, I had a problem with a supervisor I had. This was many years ago. And I did not like working under this supervisor. Something happened and it it we had a conflict and it was very, it was kind of contentious. And it wasn't like he was being mean. He would just, he just changed from being for me and helping me to being passive. And and uh and, and I, I got so frustrated because I couldn't, I couldn't get out of him what I needed. I was frustrated because he wouldn't help me accomplish what I was there for. And, and so, so I, I knew that I had this thing stirring up and I committed, I committed to pray for him for 30 days. 
And I just said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to do something where I'm going to, I'm going to actually, <laughs> I'm going to actually pray for this guy for 30 days. And I got up every morning and I prayed a prayer and I did not want to. Like, I did not want to really pray for him. But after a week went by, you know what happened? Something started stirring up in me that wasn't there before. And the second week, I just continued to, and some mornings I was just like, oh, Lord, bless him. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Lord, you know what's good for him. You know what's best for him. You know what's best for me. I want him to be blessed, and I want your blessing on my life. Would you do what only you can do in his life and in my life? As I continued to pray for him, at the end of 30 days, I found myself full of compassion and mercy for that man. Whereas before, I was frustrated and irritated with every interaction. I think this is the context for who we are as God's people. But you can't just pray. There are other things Jesus tells us to do. Let's, let's lay it out. Number one, Jesus says, talk to them privately. <laughs> this is, I, don't, I can't believe how often we don't do this. We have a conflict with a person, and then we tell our prayer group. That's called prayer gossip. We tattletale to the pastor. Hey, you know, so-and-so and I have, I don't, I didn't really want to tell you this, but if I had a nickel for every time that was told to me, I'd be rich. Or we post a long diatribe on our Facebook page that's general enough to get away with it, but specific enough that the person you're talking about will know how upset you are. People do this all the time. Sweeping generalizations, angry posts. There's a person behind that post. Don't do it. Jesus says, go privately. And what he says, I think, is really meaningful. He says, when you experience this offense, when you have a hurt, when there's a sin, if there's something that's going on here, you go talk to them privately. And here's what I would encourage you as your pastor. Go quickly. Don't wait. If you wait you're less likely not to do it. It's much easier to do it at first than it is to wait. Number two, take one or two friends along with you. If you don't like the result after talking to them privately, if you have a, a, a dialogue with this person and you can't settle the issue, if you don't get to the, the resolution that you feel like is appropriate for the conflict, then what Jesus says is, well, then invite some other people into the conflict. Again, not your Facebook page, not a whole group of people, but one or two friends. And, and Jesus in this section, if you read it, the different translation, it says, uh, so that, uh, uh, that he's talking about witnesses, and these witnesses, he's referring to an Old Testament idea of two or three witnesses, in the mouths of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's a, that was a, that was an acceptable way of dealing with what is true in his day, and he, so he, so he kind of quotes this, and then he says, he says, you bring two or three people with you, and, and I love how the Message Bible, how Eugene Peterson, who's the writer of the Message Bible, he kind of helps us see it in a broader context, which is you're trying to achieve something that's honest and that's genuine, that's open, 
you're taking two or three friends with you. That's what witnesses do. They, they, they make sure that whoever's on trial is honest because they're witnesses to what happened. Right? So you take two or three friends with you so that everything stays honest. And you need to pick friends who are, can be helpful and loving, not people who are just on your side. See, the motive matters all through the process. The motives matter all through the process. And so, um, uh, honestly, you should, you should not gossip about it. If you talk to a friend or, or somebody, you, you need to be able to talk to them about it. And remember that as you tell the story over and over again, you're going to have your perspective and they're going to have theirs. And so that's why you shouldn't tell it over and over again. Because, because it's interesting. This is an interesting idea. Gossip can be true and still hurtful. Like, gossip is not just something untrue. It can be true, and as you're sharing it over and over again, it's hurting that person. So you keep it to yourself, you go privately, then you go talk with a couple of friends and deal with the issue, deal with the subject. If you're not part of the solution, don't become part of the problem. Right? There's, like a, there's like a process here where you and all of us need to be aware that relationships are the most important thing that we have in the body of Christ. And they're the most important thing that we have in life. It's the only thing you actually take with you to heaven are relationships. You can't take anything else. Only people. Number three, you tell it to the, if you don't like the, if you don't like the result of what happens with the two friends, then you take it to the leadership of the community. Take it to the leadership of the community. That's what Jesus says, tell it to the church. He's not talking about you running up here on a Sunday morning, grabbing the microphone and telling the story, right? He's talking about making sure that there's a, a, a group of people that are in charge of the community and someone in authority who will provide some leadership, but you have to trust them. There has to be trust in that community. And as you, as you tell the leadership of that community, then that's another level. It's another round, if you will. By the way, this is the third round of dealing with this struggle. Some of you are sitting here and you're saying, wow, this is a lot of work. <laughs> Can't I just think poorly of them and not talk to them anymore? No. You can't do that. If you do that to your neighbors, they'll never hear the gospel. If you do that to people who are in your community of, of Christ, it will, it, will, it will weaken our bonds and our strength to face hard and difficult things in our future together. Number four is so interesting. Treat them like a person who needs repentance and love is what Eugene Peterson says. Jesus says, this is the, this is the in the NIV, it says, Jesus is, says, treat them as a, as a pagan or a tax collector. It's interesting to note how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors. He treated them with a tremendous amount of respect. He, he had dinner and lunch with them quite consistently, so much so that the religious people were criticizing him. That if you can't get all the way around in this conflict, after three turns, there's a fourth option, and it is back to prayer. <laughs> Treat them as a person who needs repentance and love. 
back to compassion, back to continuing to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I can't believe you're saying that, Pastor Russ. I mean, isn't there a place for righteous anger? Yes, your prayer closet. That's the only place for righteous anger. Everything else gets misconstrued as politics. Mark my word. You and I have to be willing to go the extra mile for relationships. You and I have to be willing to live in a way that lets the gospel work itself out. Jesus didn't give these rules to the disciples and say, okay, go practice this. He practiced this himself all the way to the end of his life when he was sitting around a table with his disciples at the Last Supper. And you know what he does at the Last Supper? He calls out Peter <laughs> as he's washing their feet. Peter starts disagreeing with him. They have a little, they have a little disagreement there at, at, as he's washing his feet. And then, and then Peter ends up relenting, but he calls him out. He actually says, listen, by the end, by the end of everything, you're going you're gonna to be denying me. He confronts him. He also confronts Judas. He confronts Judas at this same time who will betray him. And, he's, and he's, he's there. You can see it recorded in John 13. If you read through it, he, Jesus gets to the end of the meal. He's, he's, talked to, he's talked to Peter. He's called out Judas around this table. And then he says this at the end of chapter 13. He says, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. It's a pretty powerful statement by Jesus. The way they will know that we follow Jesus is how well we get along with each other. You are aware that most of the world thinks we just fight think we just fight with ourselves. We fight over doctrine. We fight with other churches. We fight with people of our own kind. We can't even get along with ourselves. We're not respected. I want to encourage you to not be afraid of conflict, not to be afraid of the hurts and the wounds that are, people are carrying around, but to be willing to go, to go further than you've been willing to go before to build real relationships that are, that where conflict will emerge, but you have a way to work it out. As we come to the Lord's table today, I want you to consider this idea. I'm going to ask the band to come, and, and they're going to lead us in worship as we come to this table, but I want, I want to highlight one thing. As, as we look at the Lord's table, we see the bread, which represents the broken body of Jesus. His brokenness for our healing. And we look at the cup, which is the representation of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we look at this table, we see that Jesus says, as he breaks the bread at the Last Supper, he says, this is my body.
broken for you. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul also calls us the body of Christ. As you come to this table this morning, I want you to come to this body of Christ representation, and I want you to treat the body with respect and love and compassion. As you come to this table and you take that bread and you dip it in that cup and, and, and have a, a moment where you recognize Jesus' death, remember that he died for the people sitting next to you, and they have value to him that is so important for you to embrace, so important for us to treat one another with the kind of love and compassion and respect that Jesus had in mind that would represent some, some kind of love that was so profound and so incredible that the world would see it and go, I need some of that. If you're fighting with someone right now, if you're in conflict with someone, I want you to consider being willing to pray for that person at this table and then ask Jesus to give you direction about your next step. If you're coming to this table and you have bitterness in your heart of somebody, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's something, someone who's done something really terrible to you, would you be willing to forgive them as Jesus has forgiven you? Not to justify what they've done, not even to forget about what they've done, but to forgive. Would you come and practice this at the table? Release people. Let them go. Be willing. Be willing to go to them. And be willing to let Jesus lead you. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and let's pray over this, our time together. Father, we pray that you would give us instruction and pray that you give us wisdom. Lord, forgive us for being petty. Forgive us for some of our own motives that have been so foolish and futile. Forgive us, Lord, for not seeing the value in our brother or our sister. Forgive us for gossip. Forgive us, Lord, for just stuffing it down and not dealing with it at all because we didn't want to deal with conflict. Lord, would you, would you show us where we are in this process? Would you help us to forgive and would you help us to heal? Would you touch our hearts and any hurts or wounds that have been long-standing, would you take this moment to touch it by your power and by your authority, your presence here today? We come to you, Jesus, because you're the only one who, who can give us the power to forgive. You're the only one who can heal us. You're the only one who can show us what we need to be to others. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come to the Lord's table this morning here on the front, at the front, and we'll go to your right, and you can dip it there and receive it there. You can take it back to your seat, and then you can be seated um, as the band leads us in worship. Let's begin. I just want to have a closing prayer here. If you would 
just join me, maybe in a posture of open-handedness. You know, if you'd stand with me and let's pray. And this open-handedness, just palms facing up towards heaven, kind of in a posture of letting go and a posture of receiving. Because so often you have to let go to receive. And so, Father, we just pray all across this room. Those who are hurt, we give up our hurts. Those who are saddened or discouraged, Lord, we give those burdens to you. And then, Lord, we receive your love in return. We receive your mercy and your compassion and your grace. Would you give us a love that for, is for one another that comes from your heart? Would you give us an opportunity to resolve conflict from a motive that comes from deep love and respect and compassion? Would you show us how to do that? Would you reveal to us steps to take? Would you speak to us? Would you cause us to be healthy and strong as a community of faith, so strong, in fact, in the sharing of your love that others will see it, spot it, identify it, and realize they need what we have. Continue. Help us, Lord. Give us grace to obey your word this morning. We receive it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, I want to highlight something for you before I let you go. This connection card right here that's in your seat back pocket there in front of you. You know, we pray over these things every week. If you have a prayer request or anything like that. But also, if you are making a decision today to really follow Jesus, like it's a, like it's a thing. You've been away from him and there's been distance. But today you realize, no, I want, I want to, what you're talking about, Pastor Ross. I want to be part of what you're, you're describing I want you just to mark that on this card, that you want to follow Jesus or recommit your life to Christ, and we will pray with you and walk with you. Here's the truth. No one can do it alone. We need each other. We need each other. Um, last thing is five-minute party will begin in, in just a few moments. If you're new to One Chapel, and uh, we, it's, this party's for you. If you've been around here for a little while, but you're not really sure about it or where you can connect or how you can find your, your place, five-minute party is for you. It happens right after church, down the hallway, and in uh, Pastor Russ's office. And uh, there'll be a big sign there that says five-minute party. We'd love for you to come and stay. It will begin at 11.09. 1109. I'll be there. We'll be starting, so go right to it. All right, let's say this final blessing together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace. If you want to turn in that connection card, there's offering boxes at the exits. I'll see you in five minutes.